I want you to get your Bibles and open them with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. We've been in a series and we're looking at getting some life hacks, some words of wisdom to help us out in 2020. And the book of Proverbs is full of these little just nuggets of wisdom, these little life hacks that can help you to get wisdom. We've been doing something all month as a church. Many of you have gone along with us on that, and I want to just commend you for it. Every day of the month of July, we've been reading a chapter of the book of Proverbs. There's 31 days in the month. There's 31 chapters in the book. And uh, if you missed out on that, I want to encourage you to, to do it. Just try it for a month and just say, God, every day I'm going to be intentional to open my Bible. I'm going to read this chapter and I'm going to write down what you tell me. And so we've been just grabbing God's truth over the last several weeks. Now, we've been trying to keep our services shorter because of giving our cleaning time a chance and to you know thin out the traffic between services. And so I'm looking at the clock right now and I'm telling you, I'm going to have to talk fast. So can you listen fast? That's what I want to know. I want to give you some life hacks, but since this is the last week of the series, uh, I, I have to give you some more that I read on the internet before I give you the real ones in the Bible. Uh, this is one that I just thought was great. Check this one out. Here's a life hack. Set good songs as custom ringtones for people you don't like. This way, when they call you, you can enjoy a song while you ignore them. <laughs> and that, See, it totally changes your attitude when you see that call. Instead of like, ah, oh, you're like, ah, oh, yeah. Just, just listen for a while and then decline the call. It, it's great. Or if, if you're out in public and uh, you, you have this embarrassing moment, here's a life hack for you. Uh, you can just, you know, use a Sharpie, color your toe, and no one will see that hole in your sock. That's, you can try that out. Or... You can store this, store this one away for the holidays, you know, when there's too many people and not enough seats at the table. You could just set up one of these, and uh, <laughs> you have more seats than you thought in your house. So there's a life hack for you. Uh, let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. How about, how about this one? Pro tip, if you stir coconut oil into your kale, it makes it easier to scrape into the trash. <laughs> Come on, can I get a witness here, right? <laughs> if you invite my family over, don't serve kale. I just, I'm, I'm not picky, but I do have boundaries. So I want to give you some life hacks from God's word. Did you find the book of Proverbs? We've been talking about God's wisdom for us in, in our words we talked about God's wisdom in our ways. Pastor Chris preached a message last week about God's wisdom in our work. And today, I want to take a few moments, and I want to talk about God's wisdom for wealth. And I heard a collective like, oh, here the pastor's talking about money again. Why would, I, why would I talk about money? Well, let me tell you why. The reason that I felt like I have to include this is because Solomon speaks a lot about Wealth. If you've been reading through this book, I'm sure you've noticed there's a big emphasis on financial wisdom. By the way, if you go to the Gospels, what you're going to find is that Jesus also talked a lot about money. He had several parables that communicated to us about money. And I think it's important because this aspect of our lives, money, our finances, is an area, as much as any other area, in life, that our character 
is going to be tested. Here's what Jesus said about it. Before we jump into Proverbs, let, let me give you the ultimate wisdom on the topic. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 11, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And some people would say, well, what is true riches besides worldly wealth? That is true. But, but we in the kingdom understand that true riches is about the kingdom of God. It's about responsibility. It's about stewardship. And it's about the positions and the authority that God has in mind for your eternity. And so while we can be consumed with money matters in this life, Jesus pulls the curtain back and gives us the long lens and says, listen, the way that you handle your money right now is going to be the deciding factor on how trustworthy you are to lead and to govern and to rule in my kingdom. Come on, how many of you understand? It's all about the kingdom. It's not about this month's statement. It's not about the stack of bills. It's not about the hobbies and the interests. All those things are temporary. But what matters most is the, the stewardship of what God has put in our hands. If you're a note taker, write this down. Number one, all of life is a stewardship test. That's what, that's what we're in. That's what it is. It's a stewardship test. And I mean, we could talk about stewarding our time because all of us have the same amount of time. Nobody has more. Nobody has less. All of, we could talk about stewarding the temple. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have to steward that. You're responsible for the one you were given. Now, some of us, you, you were born with better genes than others, and, and, and you, you, know, you, you can eat whatever you want, and it has no impact, and, and you've been healthy, and you never go to the doctors, and other people, they've had to fight more. But for the body that you have, you have to steward that temple. We could talk about time. We could talk about the body, our temple. We could talk about our talents. You have talents and abilities. God's gifted you. We just talked about it with these new members. There's something that God has enabled you to do. And one day, you're going to give an account to God for the deeds done in the body or those that you didn't do. And all those things are important. But the reason that I want to focus on treasure is because it, that's the one that kind of touches them all. I mean, think about it. You give your time for your treasure. Some of you, 40, 50, 60 hours this week, you gave your time. You give your talents for your treasure, your abilities, your education, the time that you spent to hone your craft is now rewarded with your bank statement. And you give your temple. By the sweat of your brow and the toil of your hands, you earn your treasure. And so how we deal with our treasure touches our stewardship of all those other things. Now, if you want a, a biblical explanation of giving, tithing in the Bible. That's not where I'm going today. But I do want to encourage you, back in the beginning of this year, in February, we did a series called Double Blessing. And I, I preached, part three of that series was all about tithing. So if, if that's a conversation you've had with people, or maybe you've got a strong opinion on that, and even at this moment in the message, you're wondering, oh, I wonder what he's going to say about that. Let me just point you back to that message. I don't have time to go to that stuff. But we took a whole week and said, this is what we believe the word of God communicates to us about generosity in our lives. But let me just say this from that message. God isn't after your wallet. He's after your heart. That's the bottom line. God is after your heart. Jesus said it like this, Matthew chapter six. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So your, your money follows your heart, or you could say it the other way, your heart follows your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and here, here's the reality about money and all these other things. The truth is, you can fake sincerity in worship. I'm not saying you did. I'm sure you were totally genuine this morning, but how many of you know you can? You can fake sincerity in worship. The truth is, you can fake spirituality in conversation. I mean, you, you, can, you could trick us all by saying all the little Christianese phrases, you know, in the lobby before and after church and just sound so spiritual. You can fake that stuff. But you know what you can't fake? You can't fake giving. You either do or you don't. So more than any other area of our life, it, it reveals clearly where your treasure is. And I want to take a few minutes today, and I want to try to get some of God's wisdom about your wealth. I said this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to say it again, just in case you were wondering if this is for you. Yes, you are wealthy. All right? If you don't believe that, you need to take a short-term missions trip to a third-world country and recognize that your problems are first-world problems. We're all wealthy. So we want to get God's wisdom on wealth. I was doing a little research. You could take the wealthiest people in American history. I'm talking Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Henry Ford, John D. Rockefeller, Cornelius Vanderbilt, Andrew Carnegie. Take all of their, their peak net worth and add them all up, and they still don't have as much money as King Solomon had. According to today's standards, Historians tell us that King Solomon was worth over $2 trillion with a T. So it's no surprise that he would have a lot to say about money. Ironically, one of the most incredible truths in the book of Proverbs about wealth is not written by Solomon. Chapter 30 is written by a guy named Agur. It's the only chapter he wrote. But he says something that's really important in chapter 30. I want you to see it about money. In verse 8, he says, Proverbs 30, verse 8, he says, keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, if that phrase sounds familiar to you, give me my daily bread, it's probably because a thousand years later, Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's where you remember that phrase from. Jesus said, when you pray, say this. And one of the things that he told him was to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, now what's the wisdom in that? Why would we pray that way? Well, go back to where we're at in Proverbs, and Agur explains why he would say, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Just give me today my daily bread. Look at verse nine. He says, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So we have two extremes. He said, if I'm too rich, I'll, I'll disown you. Like, I don't need a savior. Who's the Lord? I'm a self-made man. If I'm too rich, I'll disown you. But if I'm too poor, I'll dishonor you. 
I'll do something that's corrupt. I'll, I'll do something. I'll steal. I'll, I'll cheat. I'll lie. So God, I, I don't want to be at either extreme. I just, I want to know that my needs are met. Give us this day our daily bread. All of life is a stewardship test. And here's the good news about that. Here's the good news. That no matter how wealthy you are, how much you have, or how little you have, you have the same opportunity as anyone else to pass the stewardship test. You'll never be held accountable for what you didn't have. Isn't that good news? But every one of you, no matter how wealthy you are or how poor you might feel compared to somebody else, you have the same opportunity to pass the stewardship test and to prove that you are a faithful and trustable servant Remember what Jesus said, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, how will you be trusted with the greater riches of the kingdom? So the good news is it doesn't matter what your bank account looks like on this earth. You have the same possibility as everybody else to pass the stewardship test. Now, when it comes to our wealth, number two, you need to know this. You need to have it, but you can't let it have you. And let me just emphasize that first point for a second, because some people might not think that's true. We need money. It's not a sin to say that. Amen? I mean, aren't you glad the air conditioner's running right now? That takes money. Even if we didn't have air conditioning, I'm glad we have clothes on this morning. That takes money. Glad we got a roof over our head. That takes money. And on and on it goes. Money is not evil. Money is Necessary. In fact, English philosopher Francis Bacon said this, money is a great servant, but a bad master. He was right. Money's a great servant, but it's a bad master. Paul talked to Timothy about the person that, that seeks money. And here's where sometimes we get confused on God's opinion about wealth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. This is such an important verse that we understand when we're talking about money. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The key phrase is those that want to get rich. The next verse, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's what he's saying. He's saying they want to get rich and they love money and they have an eager desire for money. Understand what Paul's talking to Timothy about. He's talking about desires and affections. He's not talking about money itself. He's saying it's the issue of the heart. Isn't that what James said? In James chapter one, he said, don't say that God is tempting you. God can't be tempted and God doesn't tempt anyone. And then he said in about verse 14, he said, but it's by our own evil desires that live on the inside of us that we are enticed. I said a few weeks ago, James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And he gives us that word of wisdom. He says, it's our own evil desires that entice us. And so when Paul's writing about this, he's saying they wandered from the faith. They were pierced with many griefs. Why? Not because they had money, but because they desired the love of money. You know, Jesus met a man just like that. Jesus met a man who wandered from the faith and was pierced with many sorrows and griefs. 
This man was offered the opportunity of a lifetime. Jesus actually said to him, come and follow me. Think, think about the implications of a yes in that moment. This guy could have been one of the apostles. He could have been painted in around the, the Last Supper. He could have potentially written a book of the Bible. That was the opportunity that was made available when Jesus said to him, you come and follow me. But he didn't do it. He looked at his life. He looked at what he had, and he measured it against what could be. And the Bible says this about that man in Matthew 19, 22. It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Matthew says he went away sad because he had great wealth. But the truth of the matter is he went away sad because great wealth had him. He was tied to what he had. Here's a, here's a life hack question. Here's a great question you can ask yourself. What am I holding on to right now that I'm unwilling to let go of? Listen, Jesus may never ask you to let go of it. I'm, I'm not saying that to follow Jesus means that you got to move to a third world country, that you got to sell all your possessions, that, that you got to you know, go and live impoverished. I'm just asking you, the question still applies. What are you holding on to right now that you would say, if Jesus asked that of me, I couldn't let it go? Is it, is it your job that you'd say, this, this is my identity, this is what I love? If Jesus asked me to do something else, I don't think I, I, would, have to, I would have to say no. Is it your, your retirement? Is it, is it that nest egg you're putting away? Is it Tuesday nights? Is it, is it your free time? And you just say, like, yeah, I, mean, I want to serve at the church. Oh, two, I can't do Tuesdays. No, 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 man, my show's on Tuesday. I, you know, what, what is it? Everybody's got something that you got to come up against every once in a while when you hear Jesus saying, would you follow me there? Would you follow me with this? Is there anything in your life that you're holding on to that you're saying, I, I just don't think I can, I don't think I can let go of that. So we've got a list of core values as a church. The new members class, we talked about those core values. And one of them for us is radical generosity. That's a core value. And here's how we say it. Radical generosity means we live our lives with an open hand and not with a clenched fist, knowing that God will provide everything we need to fulfill his will. And let me tell you, that is not a statement about Tithing, it's not a statement about giving or generosity in finances only. It's a statement about the posture of your heart. It's a statement about the posture of your life because we know something, that when you hold your fist tight, you're not just holding on to what you have. You're also disqualifying yourself from receiving what God wants to give you. See, clenched fists disqualify you from ever discovering the opportunities for the next thing that God has for you. In economics, it's called the opportunity cost. You have to consider the opportunity cost. How many of you remember Blockbuster Video? Yeah. Please be kind, rewind. In 2000, 20 years ago, the CEO of Blockbuster held a meeting with three young entrepreneurs. They offered to sell him their company for $50 million. He laughed at them. Like in the meeting, 
He laughed at him. Here's what he said in that meeting. He said, the dot-com hysteria is completely overblown. This was in 2000. Like, oh, yeah, all this internet-based, that's not going anywhere. He laughed at him. You know what company those three men were offering for $50 million? Netflix. In 2010, Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy. In 2014, all the stores were closed and 25,000 employees were out of work. As of April of this year, Netflix is worth more than Disney. That's opportunity cost. And think about the opportunity that that rich young ruler had. Jesus said, you, you can be in the club, man. You can follow me. You're young, you're intelligent, you're ambitious. I need a guy like you. And he looked at what he had and he couldn't let go of it. God's calling us to be stewards and we need money, but we don't need money to have us. I'm reminded of one of Solomon's words of wisdom when I think of that young man and when I think of the story of Blockbuster he said in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So what are you holding on to right now that if Jesus asked you to let go of it, you couldn't? You have to know, do I have money or does money have me? Do I have a comfortable lifestyle or does a comfortable lifestyle have me? Do I have my hobbies or do my hobbies have me? Do I have my children's hobbies? Or do my children's hobbies have me? I want to just challenge you. Maybe you've never been a person that's been a generous giver. And maybe the logic has been, I just can't afford to. I would push back and say, you're not considering the opportunity cost. You might, you might be looking at the statement, but there's an opportunity cost all throughout the word of God, and especially in the book of Proverbs. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, a generous person will prosper. How about that for a growth strategy? A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Jesus said, with the same measure that you use, it'll be given back unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be added unto you. That's what Solomon was saying. Proverbs 28, 27 says, those who give to the poor lack nothing. Wow, Pastor Chris, maybe we ought to pass out the orange bags again. Those who give to the poor lack nothing, it says, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. That's an opportunity cost. When we start factoring in the blessing and the favor of God on our lives, when we live open-handed and not with a clenched fist, when we choose to, to be a blessing to others, so how, how, do we, how do we do it? If we know we need money, but we don't want money to have us, how do we, how do we get wealth and make sure that it doesn't get us? you got to decide how much is more worth. Because there's a trade-off. And some people, in, in an attempt to have more, have said it's worth more than my marriage. 
When they, they knew they, they shouldn't have taken another shift, shouldn't have worked so late, but I just, I want more, I want more. Some have said more was worth more than my kids. Some have said having more wealth is worth more than my integrity. When it comes down to it, we, we make compromises. Some have said having more is, is worth more than my health. A body is screaming out, take a break. Unplug. But I need more. I got to give more. I got to do more. And I think one of the most important things that we can understand, and this applies to a lot of our lives, but it's just simply this, that earthly wealth, for all the good that it can do, and I, I praise God for his provision, I want to I just stop right here and say this church has been an incredible testimony of faithfulness in 2020. I, I commend you for that. This, this sermon, please don't hear this sermon as like a lecture. This is not me saying, hey, step up. No, listen, I'm speaking to the hard issues of our lives, but I praise God that this church, even when we couldn't be together, has continued to faithfully support the work of the ministry. But what we need to remember for all the good that wealth can bring, it is temporary. It's temporary. Paul, in that same chapter, to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. In Philippians, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we love to quote that verse, especially when we're like about to, I don't know, when Rocky's about to fight the Russian or, you know, <laughs> when the American ice hockey team is, you know, going up against the Soviet Union, you know, we think about these like competitive moments. I can do all things through Christ. And, you know, we put it on our black tape under our eyes and Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. But you know what Paul was talking about when he wrote that? He was talking about being content. That's what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about, you know, dunking a basketball. If that, if that verse inspires you to do great things, awesome. Just understand that when he wrote it, he was talking about contentment. This is what he said in verse 11. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. Solomon was one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. So what was his life hack about wealth? Here it is. Wisdom is worth more than wealth. This is the richest man of his day by far. And his life hack about all of his money was choose wisdom. If you have to choose between the two, he says in Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold? This is a guy who had fleets of gold coming in annually into his ports. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? He said that, that, that there's a lot of things that are worth more than wealth, like your relationships with your family. Wor it's worth more than the money 
Proverbs 15, 17, he said, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Isn't that great? What's he saying? He's saying that money will put food on the table, but it won't keep family around the table. Money will buy a house, but it won't make a home. You'd be better off to just have a little serving of vegetables with love than to be eaten high off the hog with hatred. He said, your character, wisdom, your character matters more than your money does. Proverbs 22.1, he said, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Think about that verse when, when you feel tempted to compromise your integrity to get ahead. Here's the, the richest man in the world, and in Proverbs 22.1, he says, a good name And if you know his story, you know he did some things to smear his name. He messed up. But he said a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Why? Because earthly wealth is temporary. And he said that emphatically. And this is the last proverb I'll give you. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Wealth is worthless. In the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers. Now, wealth isn't worthless today. If it's worthless to you, give it to me. It's not worthless to me, right? If if, if having money bothers you, we can help you with that. But here's the word of wisdom In the day of wrath, in the day of judgment, when you stand before God, with a golden street under your feet, your worldly wealth is worthless. What are you going to say? What are you going to do at that moment that could impress God to let you come through gates of pearl? He said, on that day, it's worth it. So whatever you do, however successful you are, just know this. When I stand before God, all of life was a stewardship test. And when I stand before God, I didn't take any of it with me. And on that day, all I had, all I kept, all I did, all I built, all I left, it's worthless. But righteousness delivers. That ought to shift our priorities. The Bible says that he, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness that is ours through a relationship with God through Jesus. Our earthly wealth is temporary. I want to pray as we get ready to close this service, and I feel like this is a good landing spot to open up the doors to shift from practical application to spiritual revelation. Listen, I didn't do this series in the middle of summer just to share a lot of fun little anecdotal verses or to even give you some thoughts to chew on through the week. Ultimately, the wisest among us is a fool next to the knowledge of God. In fact, the Bible even says that. 
that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So if you have a hard time believing that your sins can be forgiven and you can have eternal life just because Jesus died on the cross, well, you're the wise one in that scripture. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. That's that's too easy. That's too simple. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. That he who knew no sin carried your cross, became sin, so that you could become the righteousness of God. So maybe you don't even know the Lord, or maybe you have known the Lord, but you've kind of strayed away. I don't want you to leave here today feeling like you got a couple life hacks about you know, your finances. I want you to know that while, yes, you're going to have to steward your life and give an account for your life, even the best steward without righteousness will not be saved on judgment day. So this is a moment for us to say, God, I want to receive your righteousness. And here's the exchange. My unrighteousness for his righteousness. So if you're here today and you need to make things right with God, maybe you, just, you need to just repent of sin. That's a healthy thing to do. That's a good thing to do. That's a liberating thing to do. And if you're here and you go, man, there's some stuff in my life that I, 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 I'm not right with God. I just want to lead you in this moment. I don't want today to be about tips, practical advice. Spirit of God has spoken a better word over your life and mine. And we can live in that word. I want to invite you to just bow your head with me all over this room. Christians are praying right now. If you're here today and you're far from God, you don't have a relationship with him, he's calling out to you. The wisdom of God, Proverbs 3 says, calls out in the streets, calling out to you. He's saying, repent, surrender your life to me. The wisdom of God is saying, stop straining to make it on your own and recognize your need for a savior. If you're here today and you say, that's me, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to forgive my sins. I need Jesus to purify my heart. Would you just raise your hand right right where you're at? Well, Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Praise God. Anyone else? Amen. 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 A couple of hands have already gone up. I'm asking for the last time. I'm going to pray for you, but I just sense the Holy Spirit wants to just pour grace out on someone today. That The enemy's just had you under this feeling of condemnation. As if 2020 didn't have enough bad news, you've been losing the battle in your mind. The enemy's wreaked havoc on you, and God wants to come in with redeeming grace today and say, you're mine. My blood speaks a better word. Anyone else? I'm asking for the last time. You see, that's me, Pastor Aaron. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands back down. We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask the church to pray it out loud. Let's just pray it together from our soul. Come on, say this with me. Dear God, thank you for righteousness that is not my own. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for my sin. My sin condemned me, but the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Today, I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm free. 
The old me is gone. All things have become new. By faith, in Jesus' name, I give you my life. We mean it, Lord. We mean it. We give you our lives again. God, we, we repent, those of us that have done that before, and, and we just keep, we keep leaning on our own understanding. God, today we pray with Solomon, help us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. To lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways. God, this week, in all of our ways, in all of our days, we want to acknowledge you, knowing that you will direct our path. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Could we stand together all over this room?